You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupitan. This week on the show, my conversation with a deeply soulful singing duo who have been lifting up audiences around the world with their eyes roll back in your head, toe curling, gather round one mic harmonies, and been through hell and back love songs, Freddie and Francine. Look, if you're in a touring band, or the wife or the girlfriend or the boyfriend of a person in a touring band, you know that sound check sucks. Because you know every sound guy is kind of cranky, and uh, you were told to get there at 3 p.m., but by 4.30 p.m., they're still trying to wire up the entire echoey hall from floor to ceiling. Most likely they patched things wrong and the snake isn't working, and then uh, they can't quite locate the in-ear system and the hi-hat drum mic isn't working, and the buzzy bass cabinet, well, it's buzzing away, and uh, by the time you're ready to go, you have to notch all the feedback, and then you have to stop and start a loud song, and then a soft song, and an in-between song, and you haven't eaten, and you smell bad from the van, but every now and again, you get to watch another band sound check, and for a few minutes, you're no longer the critical sonic perfectionist who can never get it right, you're just a fan again, because a big burly linebacker of a guitar player with a shaggy blonde beard and his adorable firecracker soul blaster of a wife starts singing together into one mic, no monitor, no effects, no gimmicks, just pure pleasure through your ear holes. And all that auditory heartbreak and reunion and love and respect comes flowing into that empty hall. And it's perfect. And you're jealous. And you're joyful. And glad that two people found each other and broke up and got back together and are making a run at it. Long story short, I didn't want Bianca and Lee of Freddie and Francine to ever stop singing I was lucky to have Lee and Bianca open for my group Dust Bowl Revival on a few shows in LA and San Francisco last year, and I convinced them to hang out in my house and have a therapy session around my mic. We talked about Lee singing on Broadway and snaking through his gauntlet of substance abuse and Bianca finding her voice after too many years of dead-end jobs and finally giving herself the permission to let her voice lead her to the promised land. Why did it feel like therapy? I think maybe we all needed to talk. You know, sometimes you could be lonely in a group of people, and that's what we are a lot of times as musicians. We're in a van with people that we spend every day with, but we don't really talk and share the deeper stuff about what's really going on. And I'm glad that we were able to talk about how they fell for each other and then split off, having different lives with different people, and then they found each other and re-found each other again and again. There was something beyond the music that was pulling them back together. And you have to realize sometimes as songwriters and harmonizers, being able to go to the dark side and find a way to love each other back in the light, it's worth it. It's so worth it. I'm glad they stuck it out and are making some of the tastiest Roots music I know of right now. They have a big tour coming up, and you should go see them wherever they're going. I will selfishly say that I wish they were still here in L.A., but I know Nashville has embraced them with open arms. Enough of my yabbering. Here they are now, Lee and Bianca of Freddie and Francie. Say with an go crazy, I'm paralyzed by the thought of just passing by. probably was one of those people early on who was like, a Francine, you're on in 10 minutes? Yes. Like, how many times do people actually think you're Francine and Freddie? All the time. And I don't, and I, I'm, I'm not frustrated by it because we made it confusing on purpose. And it's fair that they think that. But um, yeah, people think that often. They call me Francine and Freddie to yeah. you. Or yeah. they do the thing where they go, which one are you Francine? And you're like, That's ah. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we did it, you know, it's our fault. I don't actually know if I know the story of those names. Oh, interesting. It's your turn. Oh, I is just it my turn? It. We just, switch off, so yeah. it depends. So was it 10 years ago? 12, it was 11 years 11 ago. years ago at Genghis Cohen. Yes. Yeah, the great Genghis Cohen. General Tso's Chicken, best in L.A. Yeah. yeah. The uh, kosher Chinese food restaurant. Yeah. Or something to that effect. So we were there, and it was a, was it a solo show? Or was it was it your show. My show. This is sort of the long version. It was my show. 
I was doing solo stuff in LA at the time, and Bianca and I had written this song that really kind of had like a throwback melodramatic vibe to it, and we called the genre um, 50s prom rock. So we uh, said, hey, before we play our 50s prom rock ballad, everybody get a slow dance partner and pick a cheesy name like I'll Be Freddie. She said Francine. At the end of the night, people were chanting Freddie and Francine. Mm. And it was recorded, and so I listened back to it. I was like, it's kind of cute. It is cute. And now, it's our name. (laughs) 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 And we don't play 50s prom rock anymore. But you are very conscious uh, from what I've read of just not wanting to be too cute, you know, because it's like that is a thing with married couple duets where it's like, oh, tell us how you met. Yeah. Which I'm going to ask eventually, but like, let's ask something a little darker. <laughs> when you broke up, why did you get back together? Well, I think we really loved, I really loved the music we made together. Because it was like nothing I could make on my own. And I think that's what Freddie and Francine is. It's like bigger than the sum of its parts. So I really missed it. And also we created a really cool hardcore fan base in L.A. of people who really liked what we did. Because it was kind of all over the place. And I, I felt like when we broke up, I was missing like a part of myself. Like it was, it was hard. But I think getting back together was... A struggle in it of itself because it's quite a story but that's my do you mean specifically around like why did we get back musically but it's kind of intertwined isn't it yeah well, the whole but damn it's... thing is it's like codependence and enmeshment <laughs> and creative drive no i mean really yeah but that's like when you really love someone it kind of has this dark side of the moon situation where you're like there is that period at least in every major relationship I've been in where, correct me if I'm wrong, there's that moment where when you really care about someone, you also have the other side where this person gets so deep under your skin and can hurt you so badly by the smallest word, right? Yeah. That it's like you take everything personally and you take everything to heart and that's kind of almost like the thing that no one talks about with love and marriage, you know? <laughs> yeah. If you can if you can find someone who really, really pisses you off, you've found the one. That's what I'm basically saying. what you're That's saying. Well, saying. yeah, there's there's a line. <laughs> it's like love and hate. And and I think why do they have to be so entwined? They're very and, and I think to be able to spend this much time with another human being, you know, the romance and all the stuff about love, it gets really overwhelmed by frustrations of being constantly in front of someone else. But I will say that when we got together, I mean, we've been, we've known each other for so long and we've been in relationships separate from each other. I had a boyfriend. Lee's had many girlfriends. Some of those people. Hey. <laughs> I had like, one boyfriend. I had, had one. So no, I've had many. He had but nine girlfriends. We've, I'm, I'm quite a bit younger. And so like Lee kind of saw me mature as a woman, I feel like you saw me in the worst time Quite of my life. Quite a bit life. younger. I mean, you're six years younger. Well, what, yeah, what but, are you trying to say? But you saw me from like 20 to 26. No, it's That's true. a gnarly time for a, a person. And you saw me kind of go through that whole phase. And then we were just, we were kind of like two magnets that couldn't quite figure each other out or like gel with each other. Right. But we also really loved each other. Yeah. It was trying to make the square peg fit into the circle hole. But and were, and to be fair, I wasn't exactly like an adult yet in my late twenties and shit. Like I didn't have it all together yet emotionally, internally. What do I want? You know, I was just trying to figure out a way to play guitar and not work for all of my twenties. <laughs> you know, like as much as possible. But play guitar more than singing and playing guitar, or both. I mean, yeah. just play music. Yeah. But I couldn't figure that out for a really long time and. When you and also just internally, you know, I was always I was looking for relationships to make me feel better. I was doing kind of a lot of classic stuff like that. But the yes, the magnet metaphor or analogy is good. Um, you know, you have them on opposite poles mm-hmm. and you're pushing and they bounce kind of and they mm-hmm. float off each other and then it's sort of as we matured, it flipped over and mm-hmm. they stick together. But when you stick together, you get all the good, all the bad. 
And then you throw creativity in there and collaboration and all that stuff. And then it, it's got its own challenges. I mean, those people who haven't seen you, uh, you know, you usually gather around one mic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a certain just magical blending of your vocals that you can't fake. I mean, that's just one of those things where usually, you know, and I've interviewed a lot of like sibling harmony people, yeah. right? Or like, you know, those things where it's like a genetic connection is yeah. happening here. Mm-hmm. And obviously you guys, before you knew each other, were complete strangers. And yet your vocals are so crazy in their connection that it like, you can see that it's beyond just singing, mm-hmm. you know? And that's like a very hard thing. I think to find, you know, and you can feel that on stage. Yeah, you're not the first person to ever say that. Outside of siblings, we've never really seen this kind of thing. And I, and I and I am unless you are related, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, it would explain all the fighting. This is like Chinatown. Yeah, it would explain all the fighting. The sibling rivalry. No, but you were saying. no. It's just that those particular harmony relationships of siblings to me has always been amazing yeah um but it's an it, to us it wasn't i don't know well, we but, found but, each other you know what was the first time randomly. the first time you sang to each other what happened well that's what's weird i think the first time you wrote a song together and sang together we we were arguing we were not, it was not an easy writing session and i think the thing that people see on stage, which a lot of people say is like a passionate thing, it's a lot of choir nerd stuff. Mm. It's a lot of like really trying to tune to one another. And I was really into like the Bulgarian women's choir in mm. high school because a choir teacher showed that to me. And watching the Bulgarian women's choir perform at Walt Disney Concert Hall like 10 years ago, when they perform, they get right up on top of each other. Mm. You can't see me, but they're like, <laughs> This and like, like they're singing, like in each other's faces, and it's so cool. And they're creating overtones, and you're and you're listening, and there's there's a like this almost rumble happening because of the sound they're making on top. That is so, it's almost orgasmic to watch. Mm. Like it, there's something. It feels like throat singing, which yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen throat singing live. Right. It like it hits on some parts of your, you know, hoo ha maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that on here. Please do. Okay. Say hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. But yeah. I but I think a lot of our tuning and the way we sing, first of all, we had really tough childhoods, so that's coming out. So there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of like dealing with our stuff through getting on stage, and then there's also us really trying to tune and watching each other mm. so much and our mouths specifically so we can find like the perfect harmony. Mm. It's really it's interesting because we, I mean, people ask us these questions a lot, but I, I don't think about it until saying these are really cliche questions. Not at all. What I, what <laughs> no, I, no, no. This is a way to do it more in depth. We haven't I, talked which this I appreciate. in depth yet. So you're saying have a really tough childhood, and that's sort of the the key. Well, we're certainly working it out up there. As You've much heard as it here we... first, folks. This Go back, re-examine your parents, and be like, wait, maybe we, maybe I didn't have a good time growing up, and then you can sing better. Maybe that's it. I mean, well, that's what we're... I don't know, No, man. continue. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's sort of like... I mean, you're a singer, man. Like, I, I don't know how to sometimes explain the channeling of the emotional undercurrent and the reality of, like, my present moment. Mm-hmm. I, I can't explain to you how I put it through the technical mechanism of the voice. Mm-hmm. But I do know intellectually that I am trying to channel some sort of emotional... Mm-hmm. M- uh, present moment, you know, even if I've sung that song a thousand times, like we all are kind of mm-hmm. in a position to do when you're touring all the time, you just, you have to channel it through through mm-hmm. to the most honest way you possibly can. And both of you have been in a theater situation, you know, yeah. on stage, you having been Carl Perkins uh, on Broadway, you know, that whole situation, you know that it's like channeling and turning that switch on every night, regardless of how you're feeling and if the audience mm-hmm. is dead as a doornail, blah, blah, blah. Right. That is a certain skill that is not talked about, I think, of of sort of pretending sometimes to have the emotion there, which I feel like sometimes I'm singing like, this is our sweetest love song of the night, and I'm like really in a nasty mood. Yeah. But then like 
just like sort of getting into the the skin of that song, all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're like, I feel pretty good again, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It, but it's almost like the first 30 seconds of it, I had to pretend that I was oh, feeling yeah. okay and, and like feeling full of love and energy, you know? Yeah, and sometimes it'll take you back to that moment when you wrote it. I mean, sometimes I have to go there in some songs because, yeah, I know that feeling where you, or sometimes we'll get in an argument before we go on stage and then you have to get on stage and be like, hello, everybody, how are we feeling? And it's like, why do I do this? Why do I do this? And then you start singing a particular song and you're like, oh, this feels so good. Right. There's no way to describe this to a person who doesn't perform, but the feeling of being on stage, speaking your feelings aloud in a melodic way, it makes me feel better than anything else. And when you add it with another person yeah. who, who we have drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. I mean, that's sort of the whole thing about why we like any sort of art. It's because you're seeing all this hard work look so easy. Yeah. <laughs> and that there's a great joy as, as a musician in getting to that point. Working and working and working and working to the point where it's effortless looking and feeling. But it's a, just a shit ton of practice. That's why we're not in the theater or doing, you know, Lee is not doing Carl Perkins' A Million Dollar Quartet anymore because doing that all the time, the same show every single night, is pretty soul-sucking. And I know that from my own experience with theater. But the best part about performing our own music is we are in charge and we can do whatever we want on stage. And so we do, we, we will abandon a song and not play it for forever. And then we'll be like, all right, I think I'm ready to play that song again. And then you have a new attitude toward the song. Mm-hmm. You can change things up. We also take old songs because we have so many at this point and we'll bring them back and redo them and make them like a new thing. We just did that with our song, If You Want Me. But I, you have to keep it fresh. And for us, like, I don't, I want to find the line between like, I want to be professional. I want to be a good performer. I want people to come see a show and I want to be, I want it to be tight, but I also want it to be different every single night in mm. some way. And that's, that's the challenge that we all face, which is like, we don't want to have canned banter, but some jokes really work <laughs> or like some stories really work, you know, but we are, we are theater performers. Like I'm a ham. I'm a, yeah. I'm a GD ham on stage sometimes, and maybe too much. Maybe I'm more of like a honey-baked ham, and I need to be a little bit of a boar's head black pepper ham. God, I love that ham. I probably, love ham. You probably just get lunch after this. Yeah, yeah. I'm so hungry. I, I was, <laughs> was going to say, so, you know, vocals being at the center of what we do from a like, intentional point of view. Like, we've made that its own instrument, right? Uh, but specifically, I'm talking about, like, the harmony parts of our show so when we have like you're talking about doing things differently that you know every night and maybe it's frustrating Liz or whatever it's like we've definitely come up against those things so what I do is I'm I change melodies and phrasing like in my solo moments where like I get a verse on the song where Mm -hmm. it's like my verse and then Bianca's gonna have another one later if it's a duet or she's gonna have a solo tune that she takes and I play around with it depending on my mood in the moment to be as honest and authentic to that show as possible. But when it comes back to the hook or to harmony parts of verses that are in the arrangement, I do everything I can to make it exacting. And for me, that's been a huge part of this whole journey because I I have a fucking hard time with it. I, I mean, ultimately, I like to be spontaneous, you know, and I like to just flow. But right. you I, have to yeah. organize yourself yeah. in a yeah. band. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a lot of really great things to be said for that. Well, and also, when I used to go, I used to go see Lee play solo back, you know, 12 years ago or something. And Lee's solo show was pretty psychedelic. Like, he was up there with a trio making up songs on the spot. And they would be like, it would just get weird sometimes. It felt like a little bit beatnik poetry yeah. slash, like, like really hardcore guitar solos that would all of a sudden be in like a new um, time signature and they were just like about the blue chair in the room. Like it, it was weird. And like, you know, as a 20 year old, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then like we started writing together and our styles are very different. So it, I kind of, I feel like I had to rein him in a little bit in Freddie and Francine to be yeah. like, yes, be yourself. But also there has to be organization to the chaos or I will get nervous, and I feel like the audience will also get nervous. That's, That's my balance. yeah. It's a balance. It it has been a, a juggling 
But there's no way I would have reached any sort of audience on that <laughs> on that trajectory. Yeah. And Bianca's pop sensibilities and things, I've I mean I always loved pop music or music that you can sing it back and our earworms etc. Um, but I'm very I'm very happy with the evolution and sort of the. It's almost as if Freddie and Francine has its own um, identity that we write for and write mm. to now. Well, they are your personas in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we thought of that originally because like she and him was a big deal. It was like cutesy pop time. And right. we're like, oh, this is totally works with the vibe. But now it's like, I think Freddie and Francine is a brand mm. and it's a sound more than it is who I am. But when I step on the stage, it is like, I can't do this alone. I need Lee to be able to make this sound. Mm. So you're in your newest EP, Moonless Night, um, kind of got back to the sort of raw duet uh, recording, you know, style. Not exactly like super raw, but like <clears throat> yeah. it was more highlighting the harmonies and you guys intimately creating music together. Well, yeah, we do. Most of our recordings are us playing and singing at the same time and then putting everything around it versus usually what people make when they make a record. They do drums and then... No, I mean, yeah. everybody's different. Yeah, but, but we, we want to center the vocals first. And I think that record, too, for me, it, it, it's we're all over the place genre-wise, and I'm fine with it. I don't want to be pigeonholed, and we want to make big, fun Motown songs, and then we want to make super broken-down folk songs, and... I don't want. I don't want to apologize for it anymore. I mean, is, is genre kind of like a passe thing at this point? Like, do we even have to keep so talking bored about with it? it? I mean, no, we don't. But every single person needs. They need. I think genre makes them feel safe. So they yeah. need to know the genre in order to step into the unknown, which I respect. But also, I want to get to a point in my career as an artist when someone asks me that, I want to just say, "What do you like?" And then, and then whatever they say, I want to say, "It's that." Yeah. <laughs> like whatever you want it to be in order to come in the door it's right. whatever that is and mm -hmm. then let's stop talking about it she's a hustler yeah well it's sort of like <laughs> you can say all day are we in a, we're in a post genre world but <laughs> it's just a PG not, dub no maybe like Shh, I wish we were type yeah. thing no know? no and I, and I agree I mean I just either like music or I don't I, it's very true I, I don't I do certainly, if I'm going to categorize myself, I look at the things that I gravitate towards and then I can label it. But I don't think of it like that. But most consumers, quote unquote, do. They need it in a box. And some of the songs on this new EP get pretty personal, I feel like. You know, there's, there's definitely, I think, going into some of your overcoming alcoholism and, and you guys coming back together after, you know, splitting up and, and uh, that the second verse specifically on half a mind, the every day I'm waging war on who I am and who I was before, which I love. Can you tell me about that line? Um, well, you know, no one's ever asked me specifically about that line, but I think, man, I spend most of my life inside of a, like the inner inner monologue sort of negotiation and and I think a lot of us do um, but I'm ex it's not just extremely hard on myself I'm pathologically sort of overwhelmed and interrupted by my own negative thinking mm. <laughs> so I um, I spend a I spend a lot of time like fighting to be present in mm. the face of that mm -hmm. And so I, I'm dealing with constant regret. I'm dealing with thoughts. Now, let's just call them thoughts, right? Like thoughts of regret, thoughts of um, <clears throat> past pain, things that I've done, things that I'm not good enough now at, et cetera, that I, that I don't deserve any sort of opportunities because I am the way I am. And, and then there's logic or... And along with that is a momentum of an emotional sort of like depression that comes along with thinking like that all day long. But on the other side is this sense of I need to make it work in the world so I have enough of awareness to put in a song or something like that. Where it's like this is a part of just my daily sort of experience. And in the face of it, I choose to channel it through creative stuff it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can choose that it's mm. been most of my life an overwhelming um, just 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's been a wall that I've had to beat my head against. And, and, you know, I wouldn't say that I've overcome alcoholism. I think, you know, I mean, I have a drinking problem and I just, I'm not good at it. So, I, and it doesn't help with everything I just explained. So I just choose not to do it, but I do that. But being able to choose is <clears throat> among the hardest things. Yeah, getting to a place of, of choice around it. Today, I'm not going to have a drink. You know, I have to keep it in the day-to-day sort of mindset. It just feels, it just consistently disconnected me from what was going on. So I would just surrender and, and drink and, you know, to escape. But music ends up being sort of this other cleaner drug that I've always had. Yeah. Mm. And it's the best. But I can get hooked on it just as much as anything. And, yeah. and I think that we're all sort of healthily obsessed, those of us who are hitting the road all the time, live performance. If, if I just had a recording life, I would be bummed. Yeah. Like, I have to perform. Yeah. And I think you're probably this. The way I see you on stage is the same thing. Did your parents uh, ever question your decisions to do this full time? Mine never did. Um, my mom was a comedian. And she performed a lot uh, in her, you know, 20s and 30s. And then she kind of gave it up to be a mom. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in, I was born in Hollywood. And then I grew up in Maine and then Texas. I grew up in a very small town in Maine where there were not a lot of options for kids or people. Just throwing darts at the map at this point? Yeah, literally that's what it was. And, but there weren't a lot of opportunities for me there. But it became very clear at an early age that I wanted to be a performer. And my dad was like, we need to get out of this town. So we got out, we went to Austin, and then I moved to LA when I was 18 to be a singer. Like I was like, I'm not going to college, I'm doing this. My parents were, you know, somewhat scared, but also like open to me wanting to do that and knew that the only way I could do it is if I just did it and moved there and tried to do the thing. But my parents are very supportive of what I do, um, but they're also people who like, kind of entrepreneurial in spirit spirit and haven't really like I feel like haven't figured their thing out so they're very much like yeah like this seems fun do it and I'm very like proud of myself because I haven't gotten a like a they're not financially like the most sound so I've done a lot of this on my own and like I'm like it's hard to do this as an artist and not get funded (laughs) (laughs) but like but you know you just like you just start and you just never stop and I think that's what I was taught from them in a way like never give up just keep going and at one point I had a day job my dad was like the more you do that day job the more it's going to take away from your performing and I was like you're not wrong about that I gotta hustle hard and so, you, were, you were driving trucks in LA at some point right yeah I, I worked as a PA in commercials for uh, my so I grew up here right I grew up uh, in Venice first you and can then, say it Malibu. no no and then I and then my parents moved to Malibu my dad was in the film business, and so I grew up surfing and hanging around movie stars' kids and shit. Venice was kind of sketch back in the day, from what I For sure, today. for sure, where art meets crime was yeah. more true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Abbott Kinney in Washington is where my dad bought his first house in the 70s, so... Now that's super for all you L.A. folks. It's like the hippest place ever. But there used to be like the Abbott Kinney Street Festival and you'd go down there and then people would get shot. And then yeah. you'd be like, yeah, it's not cool. So <clears throat> anyway, moved up there. And so I grew up around people who were in the film business and my best friend um, became a producer in commercials. And um, I was always just thinking, I'll never do what my dad did. I'm never going to the film business. I'm a musician. This is what I love to do. And I couldn't figure out how to make any money. So my buddy was like, well, do you want to drive trucks? Because then you can... It was like 200 bucks a day, which yeah. I think is what they still make. It's good, yeah. But it's really good money. But <clears throat> it sucked because I didn't know how to make a career out of this. Like, I, Even though I grew up around it... Yeah, no one tells us how that mm-hmm. works. Yeah. If you could start a Freddie and Francine tour right now with three bands to join you, living or dead, who would they be? Money is no object. This is going to sound lame, but I really want to go on tour with the Bahamas. We're really into oh, Bahamas right now. So oh my God. Yeah. His new one and his old one and everyone. 
Yeah. We share the same mastering living engineer. Living or dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> Get out of here. So let's start living and then dead. <laughs> okay, so yeah. living is Bahamas. Yeah. I know you agree with me on that. If not, we're yeah, working go. off. Yeah, go. Just go. 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 That's my first. Oh, are we going individual? Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, look, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you do, um, you do three and then you do three. Maybe no. it's because I'm an adult. Like, I don't want to go on tour with a druggie band. Like, I'm not into that anymore. So I'm going to, like, take those out of the equation. You know, like a band that's, like, a little unreliable and maybe, like, stays up really late. Is that lame of me? Okay. Like I will. <laughs> I mean, so, definitely don't say so that on a I podcast. Now I'm having trouble thinking of any bands if that's, that's my consideration. Yeah, you don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy on a podcast. I know. I'm just more responsible than ever now, and I'm tired. That matters. It matters now. If I'm going to go on tour with a band, I want them to show up on time. Yeah, but how do you know, like, if... Joni Mitchell. Okay. <laughs> I feel like she'd show up. <laughs> she would never be late, and she'd be a little raspy from the cigarettes, but she'd be there. All right. So we got Joni, we got Bahamas, we got one more. <laughs> oh, shit. Can I, can you come back to me? Yeah. Can you start? And then I'll, no? Sure. I would say I want to tour with Lucinda Williams. Okay. Just so I can hear her sing every night. That gives me anxiety as a logistical person. No, like, I, I wouldn't have anything to do with that. Like, her management would get her there. Yeah. She'd show up and I'd just be on the side. And I would be freaking out every night. Over um, time. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so good. Um, yeah, reason. I can't do it. And I, I mean, it's so cliche, but I mean, I have been a fan of the Bob Dylan touring band for so long, since I saw him in 98 with Charlie Sexton, um, that that band, to me, and also it's Bob Dylan, so. I'm one of those people who everyone complains about his voice and changing all the melodies and stuff, and I love it every single time. Any era of Bob Dylan, which era would it be? Oh. Or any, or any album. That's a sub-question? Yeah. Well, Desire. Like, the 70s okay. has always been... Well, that's 1970, I believe. I think so. Yeah. So that that particular record, Royal Thunder Re- Review, Rolling Thunder Review, excuse me. Um, yeah, that would... 70s. I really love the 70s stuff. Obviously, the 90s resurgence after all of the 80s religious stuff is also really great, like Time Out of Mind and all that stuff. And then, you know, early 60s is great. But the 70s is something that my heart kind of... I love that band, too. Lucinda, Bob Dylan's. Yeah, and then, like, I was going to say Raylan Baxter. We were just listening to that interview. He's a fun guy. I have my third. Great. Roger Waters. Mm. Wow. I'd want to go on tour with the wall that I saw at Desert Trip mm. three years ago, and I want Lucius to be the singers. Yeah. And that's my three. Oof. Just to recap, I have Roger Waters with Lucius, Bahamas, and Joni Mitchell. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now you have to think of your dead artists. Oh, there's dead ones too? Yeah, now you have to do three dead artists. <laughs> Jeff Buckley. Okay. Okay. Well, they're dead, so that's part of yeah. the, the exercise. Jeff Buckley's probably a very popular one for people who are gone. I would say... No one has ever chosen him when I've answered really? asked that question. Really? Okay. I'm proud of myself. Hmm. Well, I would say, I mean, obviously, for what we all do, the band would have been pretty damn good. Mm. You only yeah. have Garth left. Before they really hated Robbie each other. left. Yeah. But... Levon would that probably would be, cool. be amazing. Um, I have one. Ella Fitzgerald. Great. Okay. That would be call. so cool. And like Louis Armstrong. That would be pretty. Oh, it'd be unbelievable. I would say Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm. Just to, like, as a guitar player personally, just to watch that happen every night. Like that sort of insane fire that he played with. Um, and another aircraft disaster <laughs> uh, member of the that club, Otis Redding, because mm. that singing is important to me. Was there any tour that you've been on where you felt most in danger in the travel? Because I think we're traveling a lot. On the way v- here. Via car, plane, boat. What? The, the, the flight on the way here really? to L.A., it was so windy. And that's when I, as Lee said, you need, you know, I'm not a good flyer. I'll get very anxious if there's any turbulence at all, and I'll hold on to Lee mm. 
his leg and I will squeeze it and Lee will just say to me, it's time to pray and just, you have no control and you need to let go and get right with God, whatever you need to do, but I can't help you. Do you actually, do you actually pray? Um, I, I, I do deep breathing and I kind of like take a look at my life and I just go, if it happened right now, like, you know, what am I going to do? I, flying is the worst for me and... I, I would much rather drive all the way across the country really? than fly. But, yeah. Even though statistically it's so much safer? I know. It's crazy how much driving we do, but I do feel, I know it's an illusion, but I feel a sense of control behind the wheel or sitting in the passenger seat, which I often do. Yeah, that's that's it. It's just the illusion of control yeah. that feels really good. Uh, the <clears throat> When I did Million Dollar Quartet, we had an engine failure. It was taken, out of, taken off out of Love Field hmm. in Dallas. And, um, like, we got to a maximum of 500 feet. Like, we just couldn't get off the ground. And so the skyscrapers were just kind of, like, at the level of downtown Dallas Oof. of the window. This was, like, a regular plane or a charter? This was a Southwest flight coming out of Love Field. And it was, we were flying to Kansas City where there was a tornado warning. And it was very windy already. So that freaked me out. It really freaked me out. But, it, you know... I think I'd say at this point now, being a resident of Nashville, the most danger I feel on the road is being in Los Angeles. <laughs> like, and I grew up driving here, and I learned how to drive here, and I think people here are actually very good drivers. But it's the pure density mm. with the small amount of space, like between you and that median, like on the highway on the five downtown the other day. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna die right now. It's gonna happen. But. <laughs> also, driving through snowstorms is not fun. Yeah, that's that's the most scary I think I've ever. The some of the Colorado trips we've had. Yeah. Or like northeast, we had one in the winter that was pretty bad. We went into a venue and we played, and we came out, and there was like a foot and a half of snow. And we were in Boston, and we couldn't get our minivan up a hill, <laughs> so we all had to get out of the car and try to get it up the hill. Because the weight was yeah. not actually working. You would yeah. think it would keep yeah. you, but it was sense. actually not allowing us gravity-wise to get up the <laughs> mountain. Sucked. So we did like five passes, took the upright base out. And took, <laughs> it was hilarious. You guys are on the road, what, 150 days? Yeah, I'd say 150, I think, last year. And we will probably be less this year because we're going to make a new record ourselves in mm. May and June. Mm. Just the two of us. Who's, produ- who's producing? We. And engineering. Fuff and fuff. <laughs> we're doing the whole thing. We and wanna... we're going to have it mixed by yeah. somebody. You know, but... I want to learn how to engineer. But who's really in control? Mm. God. Right. You but... know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm more passive. <laughs> My higher power. I just lay, lay out and let... I'm okay with a lot of different outcomes. Like, I'm not a crazy perfectionist. Let, let me ask you this, that. because I think a lot of us are attracted on many levels to smart practical powerful women mm-hmm. what do you do when you disagree with your lovely wife but you want your opinion to matter hmm. such a good question man um but you don't want to have to win because that's like the hard thing is like sometimes you in marriage and in any argument you're like I want to be right and I want to win but like how do you feel like your opinions can matter without having to be the winner of every argument I mean I I think it's important since this is like a male oriented question or about like men who are married to women it's important around the ego, like you're saying, this desire to be right. It's important to begin a process in one's life of stopping before reacting and, and actively, intentionally looking at that emotion. Mm. Why do I need this? Why do I need to bolster some sense of insecurity? What am I so afraid of? Mm. The beginning of, of the answers to the question you're you're look you're asking you know is just asking myself that question and then understanding it, it, when this thing wins when it, when the internal like desire to be right wins i'm never happy 
Do you burn hot or burn cold? I do both. I I can have like a a brooding silent side, and I can also be reactive and very vocal and angry. And I I grew up around yelling, and I grew up like in a town uh, in a a house of a lot of screaming and dysfunction. Are your folks still together? They are. They are. And I learned that that was that was a way I could get what I wanted was just to scream at somebody. Yeah, I had a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it doesn't serve me as an adult at all. And so I have to pause and look inward and, and ask myself what I really want. I dry, the, the goal, what, what's the goal? The goal is to be direct with Bianca and tell her that this is what I need, this is what I want, without trying to intentionally hurt her and make her feel smaller than myself. Mm. And see her on the same level. You are a large man. I am. I am physically large, but in fights, I learned at an early age that it makes me feel bigger and better to be right and to make the other person diminished or to to attempt that. Mm. And that's an awful thing. When like, I want equanimity and I want us to agree, but I do think when it comes to Bianca and I and the collaborative aspect and the powerful, smart woman. You know, I do think that there's an element of charge, like electric charge, in the tension, mm-hmm. like in the little bits of disagreement yeah. and stuff. We're not gonna, we're not ever completely satisfied with each other's vision of how Freddie and Francine goes mm-hmm. from in all aspects. But but there's an acceptance around that mm-hmm. that I think allows the thing to function. Mm-hmm. You burn hot or burn cold. I think I do both because I come from martyr victim Mm. and aggressive yeller. Mm. So I kind of will go either way. I think so much of being an adult is kind of reenacting what you saw when you were little, right? Like we're playing the roles of like our parents. And if you can have that awareness in a moment where you're like, oh, this is what my dad used to do. Yeah. (laughs) Like, got it. I'm literally doing exactly what my dad used to do. Or like, oh, this is the role my mom played. And it's like, and then when you do that, you're like, oh, I don't want to play this. This is a t- horrible play. Right. Like, this play did not do well in the New York Times. And, like, <laughs> I don't want to be associated with it. Ben Brantley hated it. Ben Brantley hated this musical. August Osage County can only be done <laughs> yeah. one way. But, like, you just want to, like, step back and be like, Ugh. And, of course, we're not always able to do that. But I think so much of being, the, the intimacy of being in a relationship is one thing. The intimacy of also being in a creative dynamic and having to listen to someone go, I have an idea for a song. And the part of you that's like, I hate that idea. It's, you have to, our, we made rules for ourselves very early on. And we almost stick to them 100% of the time. Which is, nobody says no hmm. in a writing session. You never say, no, I don't like that. Right. You say yes, and you say, mm-hmm. I like that. Where are you going with it? Hmm. Can, we, can we dig in deeper there? And I have experienced the opposite of that sometimes in writing sessions where I'm shut down and mm-hmm. I know how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do that to Lee, I know that it's A, not going to be a productive writing session and I'm going to make him feel like shit. And that's only because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just making it up as I go too. So like that's just what I was taught as a kid probably. So we try really hard in writing to just be like, that's good. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Positive speak always. I like it. I fail at that a lot. Well, it's hard not as, as a sort of creator to not be judgmental of your own work. Yeah. And and you are part of his work. I'm part of, yeah, and my, yeah. and also it's, I'm, it's extra, like you're saying, it's layered, so it's extra sensitive, so it's like, you don't like, it's like the soup. You don't like my line, so you don't like me, you think I'm worthless, I quit, let's break up. <laughs> like, it's like, what, well, it you goes. Learn, you start to learn that that's, what, if that's what your brain is doing, that you yeah. just have to like, let it play itself out like a toddler, tire but itself out. And then it's you... also learned behavior too, because it's like, I am not my work. Hmm. I am my own person and I do this as a job and it's my, a project that I'm working on, but it's not who I am. So do you guys each individually write songs and then collaborate on them from lyrics and chords or is it a start at a more basic level? You can ask it. Is it melody or lyrics first? I know you want to ask it. We, go ahead. I just talked Well, like somebody will have, Bianca writes a lot in the shower. Um, 
She's pulling me into the microphone right now. That's a good... Uh, Do you have like a whiteboard in the shower? Yeah. Are you just writing I, steam on the... I have really good ideas in the shower. In I mean, really like good. That. That's, that's you know, up to everyone else. But I think I have ideas. They come to me in the shower. I'm just doing the lather, rinse, and repeat. And I'm coming up with pop hooks left and right. JK. <laughs> <laughs> JK. LOL. <laughs> Follow us on no, but she will. She'll have some idea, and then she'll come out, and Bianca writes on piano, and I, I write on guitar. So she'll sit down, and she'll start playing something, and then we'll go from there. Or we will both have a writing session. You know, we're like, hey, do you want to write later? And we'll specifically sit down and work on this stuff. The thing about living in Nashville is that no matter how you're feeling or whether you're inspired or not, there's nothing precious about the songwriting process everyone's co-writing all the time in our friend group everyone's just getting together to write songs and there's no real outcome or expectation you're sort of like okay maybe we can try and write something like this or something for this person or whatever and and I don't I don't necessarily like that way I don't I mean but there is a discipline involved with having to just sit down and try and write a song I mean write a song I just realized that Songwriting in Nashville is exercise in LA. Like everyone's just they're like, "Do you want to go to Soul Cycle? Do you want to do this? Like, let's go like move our bodies and like sweat so much and then take a selfie after." And in Nashville, it's like, "Let's write something or nothing." And then or, go get barbecue. And then just go get barbecue. <laughs> like that's the difference. Where's the weirdest place that you came up with the song? Besides the shower. We wrote Ray's song on the 101. We did write, yeah, we wrote a song Beginning about, to end, we wrote a song? whole song between. It's called Ray's Song. It's a, it's a song about Joni Mitchell's high school boyfriend who I met in L.A., so L.A. Give me the first verse. Um, uh, the two years have passed. The two years have passed, and I still. Have this hole in my heart. It's so, yeah. the same. So I, <laughs> I can't believe that two years have passed, and I still have this hole in my heart. But it's about his wife who passed away. Joni Mitchell flew him to L.A. Mm. for her birthday weekend to get away from his house. And I was talking to him about this, and, I, and he's telling me about his wife who passed away. And she and I asked him, when do you go back home? And he said, when I'm done crying. Mm. And I was like, yeah. like, try, like slowly, like, oh, I'm so, like, so sad to hear it. But also, yeah. like, in my head, like, when I'm done crying, yeah. that's a hook. That's a country hook. It's going to go like this. Like, yeah. And I got in the car to leave with Lee, and we wrote it. On our way to San Francisco, we and got then to San Francisco, it. and then we went to your cousin's house who had yeah. a Wurlitzer, mm. similar like this, and we just sat down and like it was done. Mm. But also, one time Lee came to my house and was like, "A girl just broke up with me via an eight-page letter," and I was like, mm, "We're writing a song right now about that," and cool. we wrote a song called Eight Pages." Went over to her house after the breakup, huh? Yeah, that's when it such started. A, such a dude move. I have a writing session. I'm I so believe. sad. <laughs> 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 Cute six year old years younger girl songwriter. <laughs> help me help me with my angst. Maybe that's so why, guilty. Maybe that's why she broke so up with you. In ah, hindsight. She knew. Well that's the funny part about our like all the times where we weren't dating and and or like touring or writing together, like the significant others that we were trying to date. At one point we weren't dating but we were touring together, but we had dated before. And so we I would date a guy and he'd be like so where are you going? I'd be like, oh, I'm just going on a tour, ex-boyfriend. Sometimes we have to sleep in the same bed. It's just more convenient. I have a bad back. See you later. And they'd be like, sorry, I have a couple questions. Also, will we ever be together, really? Yeah, because it's like if you you could still kind of love and care about someone, yeah. it's like how do you not have that slightly possessive thing? Where like, yeah. So who's uh, who's this girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. Right? Totally. Of course yeah. not. We're not together. Yeah. But you do. Yeah, but of course, we'd be like, we inquire about each other's partners, but also like just listening, but with so much in my heart, just disdain and be like, well, she's not right for you, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> like, so biased. Yeah, she Writing sounds really controlling. Let's go on tour. <laughs> I saw when my, this ex girlfriend of mine got engaged. Yeah. And, and like, we did not have a bad breakup. Like, I still, you know, she's a great girl. Yeah. But I was just like, let me see who this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was already married. I was like, Hmm, Chris, huh? Yeah. Seems to work as a sales associate. <laughs> In what? What kind of sales, and I was like, Why Chris? are you so ju- judgmental yeah. about this guy? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's, well, possession. That's an interesting 
part of this whole thing. Like we don't own each other, but we certainly want that sense of control have or you power. Ever, have you ever been cheated on? In high school, does that count? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah, it always sucks. Yeah, I kind of think I was cheated on. Still to this day, I'm... It's up in the air. <laughs> Should we call him and ask? Or? He's on Facebook. Didn't you and I cheat on each other technically back in the day? Is that technical? <clears throat> oh, like, we broke Because we were breaking up so, and getting back together so many times because... What is the number, you think? That we broke up and got back together? Yeah. Well, it's not that many. I'd say in that... T- it was three times back then. How do you... What? I don't know. That's my number. It wasn't more than that. Maybe so, five. I'd say over five. Okay. Seven? Yeah. We were... We're trying to keep the band together. Uh, so know? it was like, it was like, oh, we got South by Southwest. And it's like, oh yeah, we can hold it together for that, right? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. It's like, oh, I have a new boyfriend. And it's like, I hate you, but I'm I love I'm in love with you. someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Which is me saying, I'm trying to distance myself from you in whatever way I can. But you couldn't play the shows with other people? No. There was no version. There was yeah. never, that was never an idea. But also, like, it was as if we were, we were so dramatic then. Yeah. As you usually are when you're 25. And it was, Still it was are. really like we were reenacting rom-com moments, like, yeah. all the time. But we, and then we'd play a show and be like, this is so nice. But everything <laughs> leading up to the show was like, it was hell. And it was not fun. But now, I can say, like, growing up in therapy really helps. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. episode is sponsored by therapy. By just couples general counseling. couples counseling. Love you, Tom. Love you, Tom. Big time. <laughs> All right. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your brain when I say the following things. Vixen. Redhead. Uh, female deer. <laughs> 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 okay. Spider. Gross. Ugly. <laughs> Deliberation. What? Don't think about it. Thinking. <laughs> um, Deliberation. I... Bow tie. Camel. Fractured. Knee. Oil. Oil. Elaborate. I think I was just thinking of fracking. Oh, fracking. Even though fractured oh, is not the same. Elaborate. It just hit me. Nudes. Helmet Newton. Noodles. That was not very sexual from either one of you. It was awesome. Well, Helmet Newton was the guy that took all those pictures of the nudes. Oh, right. My dad had this coffee table book that I used to really like when I was a kid. I like, I'm Italian, so I like pasta. So when I hear noodle nudes, it's short for noodles, and I'm always about noodles. What is the sexiest thing that he's ever done for you? Jeez, Lord. Maybe it was making some pasta. You know, you know what? This is going to be sound weird, but he, he, um, he recently something's going on with my family, and and you sat down and comforted my mom about something, and you were like a real family man. Who like took initiative and like were comforting and caring toward her, and that's really sexy to me because it's like you're my family now and you're taking care of business, standing up for your boundaries, but also being caring. That's just lately though. There's so many. What about her? Well, it's interesting how <laughs> sexy has the really face you're making sexy that. has really evolved to this. Yeah, why does, thing. why does it have to yeah it almost like feels like a dangerous like uncomfortable word now yeah you know? well you asked me when I was 25 I had a few other things but now it, it's different sexy is it's not just about the physical yeah. like but it does so like recently my parents at Christmas time made an extremely judgmental idiotic th- uh, comment about me Okay. And uh, like around the dinner table? No. Uh, no, they took them aside. No, they took me aside and when they 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 just made it, what they thought was a, a good sort of thing to say was really actually awful to me and it really hurt my feelings, made me sound feel shitty. And Bianca just took it upon herself to go and take them aside mm. and say, This shit does not stand in my family. You can't talk to him like that. And 
I felt closer to her, but I also felt very like in the moment turned on mm. by it because it was like she's <laughs> no because podcast is getting weird. No, because she, because she. This is what we're into. Oh, Zach. both of you have well, the same thing. Yeah, standing up for each other. Yeah, yeah, and you're. I mean, you're married. It's like it becomes your own family. Yeah, and even if my own biological family, like, messes with this unit, now I have a different. I have a whole different feeling around it. Yeah, it's. I was just going to say the song Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. When we got married, I said to Lee, I said, we are an island now. And we get to choose Mm. who gets to come on this island. Yeah. If you're a jerk, you're not coming. I don't care if you have a boat. I'm going to put up a wall. (laughs) Whoa. Sorry, that got political. But you know what I mean? Like you do, you are your own island. You have your own family and you have to, and we struggle with that too with our family where it's like, don't, we don't, there's certain things we don't. We can't talk about anymore. Mm. Let's talk about the things that we can, I guess, agree on or just not fight about because we only have so much time with our families. We live very far from them, and I'd rather enjoy myself than get in fights about who's right or wrong because everyone thinks they're right at this point. I think we need to write a short, short story and then play a song. Okay. Sweet. That's that's how our day is going to go right now. That's the plan? Yeah. So grab your notepads. Sweet. I get the one that looks like uh, Frodo's. I get Frodo's. Frodo. Frodo. Bianca's a huge... L-O-T-R. L-O-T-R. All day. Not Game of Thrones, though. Okay. So, we're going to explore our creative minds here. Because while you are married and have a wonderful connection on stage, you are very different people mm-hmm. with very different brains. So, we're going to start all with the same line. Okay? Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> which is the water flowed down the mountain so fast. And we'll be back in five minutes. Oh, God. So now we have to read them? Who wants to start? Lee. <laughs> okay. The water flowed... <laughs> this is... I haven't read it. I, I <laughs> the water flowed down the mountain so fast... That the squirrels laughed out loud when they watched the rival family of raccoons swept up in the current. Their tails tossed and turned above the water's turbulent surface, and the family of fluffy fat squirrels could barely contain their amusement. They had been fighting for months over this particular portion of the cedar forest that spread throughout the mountains of central Wyoming. And to the squirrels, the rainstorm and its power came as a splendid surprise. They knew, as they watched from their tree munching walnuts, chewing forest fungus, that they were finally finished with the raccoons. (laughs) Wow. We went different ways. Exactly. That's the point. Okay. The water flowed down the mountain so fast, she started to choke on its velocity. She craved a shower in a real shower to feel the tub under her toes, wash her hair like a normal person, with shampoo. She was sick of living like an animal. She wanted to be human, materialistic, boring, fat, lazy. Now she was on her 27th day of bathing under a waterfall and grilling turtle. Her mundane life seemed more thrilling now than more than ever. Oh, to sleep in her own bed and not on a pile of rocks or atop a hill between two howling coyote packs. She'd prefer, she'd prefer the morbid sounds of an ambulance siren over the sounds of impending primal death. Damn, girl. That was badass. <laughs> I'd read that novel in a second. <clears throat> okay. The writer <laughs> speaks. The water flowed down the mountain so fast. At first, Henry looked back to see if his mother and his son had strapped into the fake wood toboggan tight enough. After all, he had read about that kid who had been decapitated in Ohio after he flew free from the water ride and ended up in pieces in front of the concession stand. To Henry's surprise, he was suddenly alone. His toboggan had somehow broken free from the chain of other riders, and he was flowing faster and faster to what appeared to be a waterfall's ledge. Excuse me, he cried out, hoping to find a guard or attendant, (laughs) but he was alone in the deafening roar of the waterfall. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God, he said under his breath as he unlatched his seatbelt and he was not because he was not going to end up in broken bits at the bottom of this water ride without a fight. Henry jumped clear and started swimming desperately against the current. Uh, please, he called out, I need, I need help. 
But then he looked up and saw a screen hovering above him. And his son was holding a controller and was smiling above him like a crazed god. Daddy, stop struggling. It makes this worse. The boy said it echoing over the water. His son then mashed down the left button on the controller, and out of the teal water came a massive shark. Uh, Holy shit, Henry cried out, and his son turned away as the shark opened his jaws. (laughs) Jesus. We're in theater camp. That's great. That was awesome. That's a fun thing to do. I haven't done that in a long time. I think we all need to write, like, actual fiction more often it's like sweeps away the cobwebs of your brain a little bit what about a song mm. do you guys do that uh no we're actually beatnik poets so we Sweet. can give you poems do you have a guitar yes <laughs> let me go get one one two three when it's raining outside I can feel sunshine Never wanna make you cry by no means. Swimming in the river, hold you when you shiver. I never wanna make you cry by no means. Oh, baby, can you hear me? Let me pour you near me so I can whisper in your ear. I'm gonna tell you a secret. A sound is forever. Cause we're never, never, never gonna give it away. When it's raining outside, I can be your sunshine. Many thanks to Lee and Bianca, a.k.a. Freddie and Francine, for uh, chatting with me around the mic. 
They have a big tour coming up starting July 5th in Ontario, Canada, the Mariposa Folk Fest. They're going to Montreal and Toronto and Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania, Tennessee, guys, all sorts of places. You can go to freddyandfrancine.com for their music and their tour dates. And uh, their newest record is called Moonless Night. I have a really tasty vinyl version of it. Man, it's good. Check it out. If you want to go over to the bluegrasssituation.com and look in the archives, you'll find that there was a song premiere of Freddie and Francine's If You Want Me back in 2016 in their record Gung Ho. Uh, Bianca wrote the song about uh, seeing the forest through the trees in a relationship regardless of the present circumstances, and it reminds us to simply love and ask for the things we need. Hey, why not? Try it. It could change your life. I'm lucky to be home for a few days over the 4th of July weekend. Pretty sure I'm going to try to go to the beach every chance I get. I'm going to smoke some ribs the next few days, you know, do American things for an American holiday. And then uh, I'll be headed out all over the place playing in uh, my hometown of Chicago at the Irish Fest July 12th. And playing near Minneapolis at the Rolling River Music Fest and in Madison, Wisconsin at High Noon Saloon on the 14th of July. So that'll be a lot of fun. As always, do not forget to check out the other wonderful podcasts at The Bluegrass Situation, including my favorite, The Shift List, which is created by our lovely editor of this show, Chris Jacobs. You can hear about chefs and their musical inspirations. It'll make you hungry, just a warning. It's hard to believe that We've already done uh, 33 episodes of this show. And uh, don't forget, if you haven't checked out the earlier episodes, there are some wonderful artists that you may not have heard of yet. And while it is amazing to interview folks like Bela Fleck and Tim O'Brien and Mandolin Orange, sometimes I like to tell people to listen to the artists that haven't been heard yet. Like Sonny War, a young finger-picked blues guitar player here in L.A., or maybe the Shook Twins, our second episode ever. The lovely ladies from Sandpoint, Idaho, are among the most insane human beings I've ever been able to talk to, and we recorded the episode in Las Vegas while a couple next door was making love. So, give our other episodes a listen. It'll be worth it, I swear. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. <laughs>